Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We're continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith, and we're using as our guide the Belgic Confession of Faith. Today, with the Lord's help, we want to continue to learn more about God's plan of redemption for fallen sinners as we consider the doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. In that connection, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1, the verses 26 through 38. Hear God's holy word. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So far the reading of the word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, it's estimated that there are almost 7 billion people in the world today. Billions more have come before us. And if the Lord tarries, Billions more will come after us. Aside from the sheer number, what is especially striking about this is that all of us are different. None of us is the same. Yes, there are some similarities. All human beings have the same type and number of body parts. We all have two eyes and two ears, two arms, two hands, two legs, two feet, hair, lips, eyebrows, and eyelashes. Most of us can speak and see and hear and eat. We laugh when we're happy or when something is funny and we cry when we're sad. We sweat when we are hot and shiver when we are cold. We all need food to eat and water to drink and warm clothes and shelter. But not one of us is the same. We all have different appearance. We all have different characters, different personalities different likes and dislikes, different gifts and talents. Even identical twins 
while having more in common with each other than anyone else, are yet unique in some way. So much so that those who know them can easily tell them apart. But there is one person who is different in a way that no one else is. He was the only person to have a mother, but no father. What is more, he was the only person to be both fully human and fully divine. And I'm speaking, of course, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We come in our study of the Belgic Confession to Article 18, which deals with the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Last time we learned that rather than leave man in the misery in which he plunged himself, God was pleased to seek and comfort him. And he did that by proclaiming the first gospel promise, Genesis 3, verse 15. And there God promised that the day would come when the seed of the woman who was Christ would bruise the head of the serpent who is Satan. And now in article 18, we learn how this was accomplished in the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's also our theme today, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And we'll see that his incarnation displays, first of all, the faithfulness of God, secondly, the power of God, and thirdly, the love of God. As I already mentioned, our subject today is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Now, what do we mean when we speak of the incarnation of Christ? Well, the word itself is interesting. It's derived from the Latin word carno, meaning flesh, and the word in, meaning, as in English, in. And so the incarnation of Christ refers to his coming in the flesh. Until the time that Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, he did not have flesh. He was, as the second person of the Holy Trinity, a divine, invisible spirit. But in order to make atonement for the sins of his people, Christ had to take upon himself our flesh and blood. God had to become man. And he did. And we call that his incarnation. Now the first observation we want to make about the incarnation is that it powerfully displays the faithfulness of God. And that's expressed in Article 18 of our Belgic Confession of Faith. There we confess as follows, and I quote, that God did fulfill the promise which he made to the fathers by the mouth of his holy prophets when he sent into the world at the time appointed by him his only begotten and eternal son, end quote. And so we learn here that the incarnation of Christ was not simply a spur-of-the-moment idea. It was the fulfillment of a promise that God made long before to the fathers by the mouth of the holy prophets. Now, when did God make that promise? Well, he made it the first time in Genesis 3, verse 15. And then we saw that when pronouncing a curse on the serpent, God said that he would put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And he also promised that one day the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent, although the seed of the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. And as we saw the last time, the seed of the woman is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who, by means of his suffering, death, and resurrection, would bruise the head of the serpent. 
Now, the promise that God made to Adam and Eve was later confirmed to Abraham. When God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees in Genesis chapter 12, he said to him that he would make of him a great nation and that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. Now, what did God mean by this? Why would all the families of the earth be blessed in Abraham? Well, because from Abraham would come the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And anyone who believed on him would be saved, which is the greatest blessing we can ever receive in this life. When Jacob was on his deathbed, he spoke of the coming of Christ in the flesh when he said in Genesis 49, verse 10, and I quote, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Later, Moses in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, wrote that the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him you shall hearken. And many more texts could be cited. We think of Second Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13, where the Lord says to David that he would establish his seat after him and would raise up a ruler who would build a house for God's name and he would establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Or we can think of Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2, when Isaiah predicted that there would come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch would grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord would rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And we think, too, of Micah 5, verse 2, where Micah declares, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So the Old Testament is full of references to the coming of the Messiah in the flesh. Now to be sure, there were times when it appeared as though these predictions would never be fulfilled. For example, when Abraham and Sarah failed to produce an heir, or when the people of Israel and Judah were sold into captivity, or when Haman determined to kill all of the Jews. There were many more times when God would have been perfectly just to wipe out the entire nation because of its sins and renege on his promises. But God remained faithful. He fulfilled his promise according to his word. And dear friends, God is still faithful today. God never changes. He was as faithful today as he was in years gone by. That's how important it is to remember that. Sometimes things can happen in our lives that cause us to doubt this. Where's the faithfulness of God, we say, when a loved one suddenly passes away? Where's the faithfulness of God when the doctor tells me I have cancer and I have only a few months left to live? Where's the faithfulness of God when I see my child going astray and living in and for the world? Where's the faithfulness of God when I cannot seem to make ends meet? We can't always answer these questions except to say that no matter what happens to us in this life, God is faithful. We may not always see it, but it's true. He is faithful to his word. He is faithful to his people. He is faithful to himself. And he is faithful to his promises. God is faithful. And therefore we can trust in him. And with Job we can even say, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. The incarnation of Christ proves this very truth.
God promised that he would send his son and in the fullness of time he did. So the incarnation demonstrates the great faithfulness of God but it also displays the great power of God. That brings brings us to our second point. We've seen that in the fullness of time God sent his son into the world in fulfillment of his promises. Now how did this happen? How did the son of God enter into the world? Well, he became incarnate. He took upon himself our human flesh. Our confession says that Christ, and I quote, took upon him the form of a servant and became like unto man, really assuming the true human nature with all its infirmities, sin accepted. You notice what it says here. Christ did not cease to be divine when he came to this earth. He did not leave his divine nature in heaven. He took it with him. In the incarnation, Christ added a human nature to his divine nature. What is more, this human nature was not a superhuman nature. It was exactly like ours. Our confession says he really assumed the true human nature with all its infirmities. In other words, he assumed our human nature in its post-fallen condition. And that means he knew what it was to suffer hunger and thirst, to experience pain and fatigue and rejection and loneliness and sickness. Adam never experienced these things before the fall, but Christ did from the moment he was born to the moment that he died. The only so-called infirmity that Christ did not assume was our sinful nature, original sin. And it had to be that way. Had Christ inherited original sin, he never would have been able to make atonement. For as we know, God demands a perfect satisfaction for sin. And Christ could not have presented a perfect perfect sacrifice for sin if he himself was a sinner. And therefore we say, in accordance with the teaching of Scripture, that Christ assumed our true human nature, sin accepted. What is more, Our confession goes on to say that Christ did not only assume human nature as to the body, but also a true human soul, that he might be a real man. Now that's important too, because as our confession also says, when man fell into sin, he fell both body and soul. In order to redeem man, body, and soul, Christ had to assume both a human body and a human soul. And had he not done this, his work of redemption would not have been complete and we would still be in our sins. But you say, how did all of this come about? How did Christ assume our human nature in its post-fall condition, both a human body and a human soul? What our confession tells us, he was conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Ghost without the means of man. Now our confession here affirms the doctrine of the virgin birth of Christ. Now that doctrine is denied by many people today, including many in mainstream Protestant churches. But our confession in accordance with the word of God upholds it, and it does so without apology and without qualification. Christ assumed our human nature by being conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit without the means of man, period. And that's exactly what the scriptures teach. We read together from Luke chapter 1. 
In Luke 1, verse 28, the angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she would give birth to a son. Mary, of course, asked how that was possible since she had never known a man. She was not married. In response, Gabriel said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now this is confirmed in Matthew 1, verse 18, where it says that before Mary became married to Joseph, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And later in verse 20, we read that the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife. For that, he said, which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now, there's a lot here that we cannot explain. How can a virgin conceive a child apart from the normal means of procreation? And yet that's exactly what happened. Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And as a result of this overshadowing, she conceived in her womb and gave birth to a son, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this truth is asserted over and against the teaching of the Anabaptists. Remember, the Anabaptists were the ancestors of modern-day Baptists and Mennonites. Although they agreed with the Reformers on many things, they disagreed with them on the matter of baptism. The Anabaptists believed that only believers should be baptized upon making a credible confession of faith, whereas the Reformers taught that infants were also to be baptized. Furthermore, they believed that the baptism they had received as children was not a real baptism, and therefore they had to be baptized again, and hence the name Anabaptist, which means to be baptized again. Now, another area in which the Anabaptists disagreed with the Reformers was on the matter of the incarnation of Christ. Under the influence of one of their leaders, a man by the name of Menno Simons, who was the founder of the Mennonites, the Anabaptists denied that Christ assumed his flesh and blood from the Virgin Mary. In their view, Christ could not and would not assume his human nature from Mary because Mary was a descendant of Adam. And anyone who was a descendant of Adam is necessarily sinful. Instead, they said, Christ merely used the womb of the Virgin Mary to be born into this world, much as water flows through a pipe. Christ, Simon said, became a man not of Mary, but in Mary. Well, this, as intriguing as it is, is also false. To say that Jesus did not inherit his human nature from Mary is to really undermine the humanity of Jesus Christ. The Anabaptists taught that although Christ was fully human, he was not human in the sense that you and I are human. His humanity was a perfect humanity, whereas ours is a fallen humanity. But our Reformed forefathers said no to this. Christ's humanity is our humanity. He shares, as we have seen, in our fallen human nature with all of its infirmities, yet without sin. Now, to confirm this, our confession quotes a number of passages from Holy Scripture. <coughs> it notes, for example, that Christ was a fruit of the loins of David after the flesh, that he was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. He was a fruit of the womb of the Virgin Mary, he was made of a woman. He was a branch of David. He was a shoot of the root of Jesse. He was sprung from the tribe of Judah. He descended from the Jews according to the flesh. He was of the seed of Abraham. 
since he took on him the seed of Abraham. And he was like unto his brethren in all things, sin accepted. And so the conclusion is, he is in truth our Emmanuel, that is to say, God with us. Now we see in all of this an amazing display of the power of God. Who but God could be conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin? No one. Only God can do that. And what a great comfort that is. Dear friends, if God can be conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, then he can do anything. He can soften the most hardened heart. He can sustain us in the most difficult trial. He can rescue us from the deepest pit. He can elevate us to the greatest glory. He can comfort us in the deepest grief. He can do anything. And since that is so, will you not trust in him? Will you not believe on him if you have never done so? Will you not lean on him? The incarnation of Christ manifests something of the great power of God but it also displays something of the great love of God. And that brings us to our third and final point. The incarnation of Christ displays the great love of God for sinners. And that's clear when we understand why it is that God sent his son into the world in the first place. Why did he do this? And why did Christ agree to come? Well, the answer is one word love. He did it out of love. John put it so memorably in John 3 verse 16 when he writes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But do you see what John is saying here? He says that we are all doomed to perish by nature. That's what we deserve because of our sins. We deserve to perish body and soul in hell. Secondly, he says that God would not allow that to happen. Instead, he devised a way whereby his justice and his mercy could be satisfied. And it was by sending his son into the world to suffer and to die so that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For the Father, this meant giving up his only well-beloved and only begotten Son. For the Son, it meant leaving the glories of heaven, being separated from his Father, coming to this world, a world of darkness, a world that hated him, a world that despised him, And it meant humbling himself to become a servant and suffering and dying on the cross. Why did God do this? Not because of anything in us. Not because we were so worthy, for we are not. And there is nothing in us. He did this solely out of love, John says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now by the word world here, John doesn't mean just the elect. It's true. That is sometimes how John uses this word world in his writings, but that's not the case here. This is the love for all men. John here says that God has a certain love for the entire world, for every single person in the world. To be sure, that's not a saving love. Otherwise, the whole world would be saved. 
But it's a love of benevolence, as our forefathers used to say. It is a love that is born of pity and compassion for fallen sinners. It is a love that cannot bear to allow sinners to perish without offering them a way of escape. It is a love that moves God to do something to rescue fallen sinners from the misery and poverty in which they plunge themselves. This is the love that moved God to send his Son into the world. Oh, my friends, do you see that today? Yes, the incarnation of Christ demonstrates the faithfulness of God and the power of God. But more than that, it demonstrates the great love of God for sinners like you and like me. Oh, what a comfort that is. My friend, do you ever doubt God's love? Maybe you think, I've sinned too much. My heart is too cold and rebellious. God can never love someone like me. But that is simply not true. In fact, he loves. He loves sinners. He loves sinners so much that he sent his son to die. Now, I can't say like the Arminian that he sent his son to die for you specifically. That's not scriptural. Christ died only for the sheep. Jesus said, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I can say that Christ died for sinners. And if you know yourself to be a sinner, and if your sins concern you, if they grieve you, and you desire to be set free from sin, from the penalty of sin, and the dominion of sin, and the consequences of sin, I may direct you today to the Lord Jesus Christ. For he is willing to save sinners. And this is why he came to this earth. This is why he suffered and died and rose again, so that sinners like you and me could be saved. The incarnation of Christ is one of the great, if not the greatest miracle in history. In the incarnation, God became man. And in so doing, he demonstrated his faithfulness, his power, and his love. Oh, how great is our God. And how thankful we should be that he caused his son to be born into the world. My friends, had he not done so, there would be no hope for any of us. We would still all be in our sins, heading towards an eternity in hell. But thanks be to God that he did, and because he did, sinners like you and like me can be saved and live to all eternity. Oh, look to him then. Believe on his name. For those who look to this Savior will not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, v 4 x 2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. For those who take the time to write, I will gladly send you a free copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along as I explain each of its 37 articles. 
If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Thank you for listening. And now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.